Hi, everyone. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. I am Dr. Shiloh, one of your hosts, and as always, here with the host with the most. Oh, my <laughs> the most heart. what, though? My, the yeah, most really, what? the most what? The most full of bull. <laughs> it's hey, Dr. Dr. Scott. Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. And Hello. thank you for that wonderful intro. I appreciate it. Oh, sure. Oh, I... and by the way, I, my do I sound like super sexy voice? Do I? Can you tell the difference? Mm, yes. Not sexy. I mean, I wouldn't call myself sexy, but I've still got COVID voice. Oh, do um, you? My most recent COVID infection. Oh, great. So it never stops. It's the gift that keeps giving regardless of my boosters, (laughs) regardless of my fistful of supplements. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, you are in a state where you're able to record and live your life. So I'll take it. Okay, good. Yes, I am very. Yes. Yeah. So kind of ties in with our episode today, the fact that we traveled and oh, yeah. unfortunately, you know, being in crowds and being in closed spaces and shaking hands and hugging people. And that's the risk we take is that you came up with COVID again once yeah. we got home. So it's going to happen. I mean, it was cautionary. I had just been boosted, I think about two and a half weeks before mm-hmm. I got, I, this time I actually did get a mild case. Last time was not a mild case. Right. There's medication out there, Plaxivid. I, encourage everyone to consult with their doctor about Plaxivid, whether or not it like might be an option for you. Yeah, but I think, unfortunately, um, you know, I guess as everybody's saying, it's here to stay. So we all need to be careful because we're heading into cold and flu season. Yep. So yep. be careful, folks. But we did have a wonderful time at the Pacific Northwest True Crime Festival. The best. I mean, all of our conferences have been great. There's not been a dud in the one, but talk about a combination of fantastic location. Yep. Amazing facilities. I mean, I I gotta stop talking because I'll I'll riff for 20 minutes on how beautiful the setting was and how great the tech was. Like spectacular tech. Fully organized so well. And we got to meet some really great new people. It was cool to kind of be with a new group, unexplained organ, organ the state, not the body part. They were kind of our table mates next door. And another therapist is one of their hosts. So like she's a licensed social worker. Fascinating, fascinating. And, And we highly recommend that podcast. Yes. Yes. Ghoulish tendencies were great. Ghosts and hoes. Ghosts and hoes. <laughs> Hands down, Fun. like the best name for a podcast. Seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was it was so nice to meet some new people and have a wonderful festival. So I would just say our recommendation is hopefully they'll do it next year and it's worth the travel and worth the event cost, whatever that is, but it's worth your time. For sure. Completely agree. Hands down, completely agree. And uh, we were able to give a free set of tickets to our listeners that we got to meet. That was fantastic. That was so much fun. And we hung out with a couple of Patreon members that were there. It was it was kind of this this really well-rounded experience and meet some people that we hadn't met in person, like the women from Murder Murder News, who I'm like more in love with now that we've met them in person. And yeah, just an overall good time. So yes. thank you to the organizers of that for having us. Also, this Friday night, after you hear this episode, is our watch party. So we will be watching Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Cannot wait. I know. I, I've never seen it. 
So I'm super excited to just savor all of it. I just want to prepare everybody as you're listening, and I hope you'll all join us. It's going to be so much fun. But it is a specific type of film from a specific (laughs) time. So it actually did very well in the theaters at the time, you know, but it is going to come across as so hokey and campy. Love it. And and that's part of the fun. Like, it's really part of the fun. Can't wait. So go to our live events page. All of the instructions are there and we'll post them on social media as well. But before we kind of get into some things, Scott, we had an email from a listener who wrote about her friend's experience with seasonal affective disorder and how they handle it in other parts of the world. And I thought Uh, it was so fun. It's great. And also completely did not expect the amount of response we got from that episode, which was a very, that was an outlier episode for us that focused more on, you know, an emotional challenge. So an email from listener Shelly, and she was in regards to our episode on SAD or seasonal affective disorder. She told me that, and this is her quote, she told me that when the days are dark in Scandinavia, little shops are common where folks can go and sit in a comfortable chair under a sad light with a hot cup of coffee. People bring books, work, knitting, et cetera, and they get their sunlight. So a sad light, we didn't spend a lot of time on that, but it is one of the actual prescribed therapies of being under a broad spectrum light bulb not one that's going to, you know, tan you, not like a tanning ball, but (laughs) does have like the spectrum of natural light because the photoreceptors in our body will recognize those. It's interestingly enough, we got another notice to say, hey, did you know about the little town in Italy, in the Italian Alps? There's a tiny village that is so nestled between two mountains Mm -hmm. that during the winter months, it only gets like an hour and a half of sun a day. And it was a You know, it's a very, very small village, but they went to the extent that they installed enormous mirrors up on the top of the hills to extend the daylight time. And people all gather like in this town square, kind of all (laughs) as a big community getting sunlight. I thought that was so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, we are Patreon member and friend Pia gave us a huge shout out on Twitter. She says she's experienced this and she just thought our episode was lovely and informative. So it's always nice to hear from people who have an experience of what we're talking about to get us, kind of suck us out of like our clinical research mode and have feedback that is positive because sometimes we just don't know how it's going to come across to someone who's impacted by this. We're just kind of rattling off information. So... Thank you, Pia, for that. We appreciate it. Also, before we move on, in episode 113, for a little recap here, we went all the way back to the late 1800s to talk about the Greenbrier ghost. So this was our vintage episode, and we talked about the case of Elva Shu, who helped to solve her own murder by communicating from beyond the grave. So Beyond the grave. Beyond the grave. Yes. Yes, yes. So please go back and listen to that. It's a fun one if you missed it. It's a short little bite this time around, which you and I need to practice that a little bit more on our vintage <laughs> episodes because we get so sucked into the research. I'm like, weren't they supposed to be shorter? But I we can't know, help but ourselves. who knows? So we, have, we have a great deal of fun with them. But this week, 
Madness in the skies. Madness, <laughs> I tell you. Madness in the skies. Air rage, airline violence. But it is truly madness in the skies. All all joking aside, it is truly madness these days. Just wait. Buckle up. <laughs> I guess is a good thing to say. Exactly. Today. That's actually quite appropriate for this particular topic. Do you want to go over some trigger warnings? Are, yeah. are trigger warnings that are, are not statistically validated, but we're going to share them anyway? 100%. So we're going to be talking about some physical assault, some sexual assault, as well as derogatory language used as insults. So I know it's not like we watch our language all the time anyway, but I know there's a word that you're probably going to have to say here coming up soon, Scott, that you're going to be like, and then there is a sprinkling of COVID talk in here. Not that this should have a trigger warning to go with it, but we know... You know, certainly not from our listeners. We've never gotten any feedback about particularly strong COVID opinions, but as most of our listeners know, know, it's really out there as a debate, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of mask debate, COVID, just stuff sprinkled in here. If you guys are sick of that, I guess that's a good way to sort of prep you. But we promise there's there's way more to it than that. So... Let's get started. All right. So let me set the scene for you. I want you to pretend that you were on a flight from Tampa, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia. No. <laughs> hard hard pass. That's already gross for me. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a huge fan of either one of those cities, particularly the boarding area from, no. from Tampa. Okay. Well, I'm not going to go there too far because we have dedicated and lovely listeners in Florida that we so much appreciate. Anyway, pretend that you were on a flight from Tampa to Atlanta two days before Christmas. 2021. Is it still? It's even more of a hard no. I'm I'm going to drive from Tampa to Atlanta. (laughs) Okay. So a woman named Patricia Cornwall, a one-time NFL cheerleader. Not to be confused with famous American crime author Patricia Cornwell, whom we love. Right, right. So not Cornwell, but Cornwall, an individual who had a small part as an actress on Baywatch in 1987. She was attempting to return to her seat from the restroom when she asked a flight attendant who was maneuvering a beverage cart that was blocking the aisle to keep Cornwall from getting to her seat. So she's kind of tapping on her shoulder saying, hey, can you move it over because I got to get to my seat. The flight attendant asked Cornwall to please find a vacant seat until the beverage service was complete. And her reply was, what am I? Rosa Parks? Oh my God. Okay, so let's first, let's just take a breath for that because we have already gone into what the fuck area. Inappropriate. Like, who Come says on. that? Jesus. On so many levels. Have some impulse. Pity. And then right, right now we're just already, we're already <laughs> into it because a male passenger within earshot and actually just literally about four feet away yeah. says back to her, you're not black. This isn't Alabama and this isn't a bus. That's inappropriate. Oh, shoot. Like really like not taking much of a break. Let's like right yeah. back unfiltered. So then the two of them begin shouting at each other for not masking up. And video of the midair showdown shows Cornwall was screaming all sorts of expletives at the guy as her own mask is just hanging under her chin. Yeah, it should be noted that the guy who was talking back and forth with her did have a mask. Yes. And he had been wearing it properly, but was in the middle of his meal. So it was off at that time. And they just, here they go from like a debate about Rosa Parks straight into mask debate. Yelling at each other and spitting basically, because you're you're always spitting when you're yelling at each other. Always nice on an enclosed space, right? Lovely. So 
it further escalates. Sit down, Karen, he shouted at her. And oh, Cornwall responds, sit down, pussy. Oh, uh, it man. should be noted he was already sitting down. He was in his seat. So then he tells her, you mask up, bitch. And she promptly slaps him. And now Cornwall faces federal charges for this incident. This is exactly like the trashy kind of brawl I picture when I think airline violence 2021. Oh, <laughs> That's and why guess, I'm not getting on that flight. <laughs> and guess what? It's not the only one. Like this is oh, no. it's not only oh, it's no. not the only one. And it's it's also it it's one of the weirder, but it's not even the most egregious. I mean, there's more information on this case that we're going to talk about along with the others as we dive into the subject, but we want to start with some surrounding data around air travel and clearly bad behavior. Yes. All right. So there are about 30,000 flights a day in the U.S. And per review of the existing data, and by this time, there's a lot of comparative data, 2021 was the worst year on record for bad passenger behavior on airlines. The FAA logged 5,981 incidents. So of those 5,900 and 81 incidents, how many do you think were related to masks? Hmm. It was 72%, so 4,290. Wow. Yeah. So we, we, we have a huge idea of what is just going on to start, but we're going to dig into all the reasons why. Well, it seems to be the lightning rod, right? I mean, that's a that's a certainly a lightning rod for people's underlying behavior anyway. Yes, there's probably what they are already predispositioned to do <laughs> in certain stressors, <laughs> but then there's additional things happening that we'll we'll get into. So as of this year, 2022, actually as of October 2022, there have been 2011 unruly passenger wow. reports, so it's way down 721 of those initiated an actual investigation and then 80 80 cases were then passed on to the FBI for criminal review so anything that happens sort of in the territory of flights and airlines are all federal jurisdiction. So the airline per se doesn't have, or even the local police department doesn't necessarily, they can come in and take people off of planes or be the first responders to the situation. But if criminal charges are going to progress out of an incident, then that happens at the federal level. So for the week ending on September 18th, 2022, there were essentially two reported incidents per 10,000 flights. For comparison here, from 95 to 2020, there were an average of 182 investigations initiated each year. So the rate of unruly passenger incidents has dropped by nearly 60% since the year we shall not speak of, 2021. <laughs> but unruly behavior means a colorful variety of acts and behaviors. This can be punching the backs of seats, spitting, as you so lovely noted, throwing trash at people, yelling obscenities, using racial, gender, and homophobic slurs, and that's often done towards flight attendants, as well as actual acts of violence, attacks, sexual violence, all of the above. So, Dr. Scott, have you ever seen anyone get crazy on a plane? <laughs> I'm uh, so curious. We've done a lot of flying lately, but I know yeah. you've done a lot in your life. So I only ever saw one, well, two incidents in my entire life flying, and both of them have been health issues. And the most recent one was a young couple, so, sort of 
disheveled, young 20s, very young 20-somethings, and the young man collapsed in the aisle, and everybody thought Mm. he was having a seizure, and they were trying to talk to him, and he wasn't responding, and his girlfriend was kind of standing there blank-faced, and I had to, I told the flight attendant, they're stoned out of their minds. Yeah. They're, they're, they're both so stoned that, because she couldn't even respond to questions. I, I kind of jumped in to offer support, like, mm-hmm. hey, can you, let's get some information so we can give it. And she was, her eyes were so messed up and red and like, she couldn't even form a sentence. So Jeez. they had clearly done a couple of edibles and, you know, yeah. but as far as like freak yeah. outs, <laughs> yeah. I guess the biggest freak out I've ever seen has been several events where people are late to their flight or miss their flight or get bumped from a flight. And, you know, those, those are becoming more common as well. You see a lot of those recordings online. I have no idea if the events that I saw were poor planning on their part, or if they're running from terminal to terminal, Mm. like losing it. I can still see the plane. It's still there. No, why, why won't you let me on? It's still there. No, sir. The doors are closed and doors are closed or when they can't get on or the flights are overbooked. And guess what? They're always overbooked. And in fact, as an aside, many of the airline apps now offer you an option for you to delay your flight by offering you a choice in how much you would take in cash or credits for giving up your seat. Like as yeah. you're on your app and you're checking in and getting your boarding pass, pop-up window will say, hey, if you're willing to delay your flight, how much of these would you take? And it gives you an option. And then if you wait another hour, like sometimes the amount goes up. If I was, you know, if I had the opportunity and flexibility, sure. I'd probably take advantage of that. But people forget that there are strict, strict, strict FAA rules about the gates closing. I remember in old movies, they would have these moments where they'd like, open, open the door, for him yeah. or her as they're running to their loved ones. Like, no, that that does not happen. No. It may have happened back in the day, but it certainly does not happen now. Not post-9-11. Yeah, oh, God, no. And I, I have experienced it well, especially when I'm flying back to my hometown where you always have to go through a hub. And if you go through Charlotte, Charlotte is a major hub, but they have all the big flights on one end of the terminal and all the puddle jumpers oh. on the other end. So... You know, in Expedia or these apps, anyway, they don't give you enough time. They literally, people are running full tilt down the thing. And so I've missed, I think, three flights that way, which is frustrating. What about you? No, I I really haven't. I've I've had some terrible flight experiences, just whether it's been delays or sitting on the tarmac for hours, you know, sort of thing. Not so much recently. Probably the worst experience I ever had was in the fall of 2020 when I did finally say, like, I have to get out of town. And I flew back east to spend some time with some friends and got stuck in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And basically it was due to weather, which in my head, it's like, okay, like what, what can anyone do about that? And then there's the whole like, well, now this flight team is timed out. So we need to get another crew. And then okay, we're, there's, there's not going to be another flight leaving tonight. Like it's going to leave at seven in the morning. And it was horrible. Like, thank God I was traveling by myself. I thought, God, what if I had my kid with me or something like that? This would be really upsetting, but what am I going to do about it? And I I think I'm okay going back to a place like that of like, I'm not going to change anything. This is not going to get me to New York if I scream or complain enough or whatever. So it's just sort of sitting in it. This is what is happening. I stayed in the most horrific hotel I've ever stayed in my life. I don't think I slept because I thought I was going to get murdered. Was it by the airport? Yes. So it was when they like gave us a little voucher to you take a little shuttle over there. And it was so I I can't even (laughs) describe. There were like, 
like, you know, where I look under the bed and there's literally like a person's shoe there. Like just, they left it, but it was frightening at first. And then I was like, what is this place? See, and that was my experience as well. When I, the, the times that I've gotten a voucher is that they, they take you to something that is actually, I, I don't even just the room that you're given. I, now I know if that happens again, I'm just going to go to the desk and go, I don't care about the voucher. You have to, you have yeah. to get me into a clean room because it's, it's happened badly. Yeah. My other option was just, okay, stay overnight in the airport, but it was the height of COVID and I wanted oh. a place to go take a shower. Wow. So I didn't have a lot of options, but right. regardless, there were people that were throwing a fit and I don't think they got anything more special than I did because of course I just went onto my app and said this was my issue and I got some, you know, future credit and you got to make the best of it. Well, you have to make the best of it. And there's also the idea of placing your energy where it's going to work for you the best. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to, we're, we're going to wrap it, this whole episode up by coming back to that, but I'm going to tell you right now to prep for yeah. this. It's about controlling your behavior and being polite. And I'll, I'll give examples of how that's worked for me when we get back to that. But when we talk about this air rage, there are some factors about this that make it more alarming than other specific types of violence. And I think that, I mean, look, on the most basic level, you were locked in a metal tube flying between 32 and 42,000 feet in the air at about 550 miles per hour. There is nowhere to go. Yeah. You're surrounded by strangers in sweatpants or completely inappropriate clothing. It's it's gotten out of control. I know I sound like an old fart saying that, but it is completely out of control. I'm all for dressing comfortably. Judgy segment. I, yeah, I know. I am judgmental Judy right now. Gotten out of control. We should be wearing blazers. <laughs> really uncomfortable blazers and ties and yeah. hats. You should all be wearing hats. And then there's alcohol available. Sometimes, uh, not so much now. That seems to be changing. What, what are the other factors? Well, not only are you sort of trapped in and you like can't get away from the situation and you're cramped anyway, but there's no like 911 to call, right? So while sometimes there's air marshals on board, which is an interesting thing in and of itself, they're there for very specific duties. So I was talking a few weeks ago, I was at dinner with a, a retired FBI agent. We were talking about air marshals. And they really have to like size up the situation and say, do I sort of reveal my undercover nature to take care of this? Does this cross the line? And they are on every major flight between major cities, but that doesn't mean it's going to cover, you know, every flight right. in, in, in a day. So they're tasked with also addressing the potential criminal threats, but their main focus is really preventing the completion of terrorist threats. So they work under the arm of the TSA and... Although they're known for their sort of quote unquote in-flight security, they also perform duties as part of their job as related to what's called the visible intermodal prevention and response team. Oh, wow. So it's a, a TSA program and various government sources kind of have differing descriptions of what this is, but basically it's a model they all sort of work under, which is not just marshals on flights, but kind of a lot of the preventative work that they do. And there's a lot of overlap with the Department of Homeland Security. So, so it, it's interesting when you sit back and kind of look at what they do and what they don't do. So here's a partial list of what 
they do as far as their duties. And this is just outlined on a website advertising for these types of jobs. So they fly on random flights to monitor passengers for potential criminal or terrorist threats, deter and prevent criminal and terrorist acts concerning aviation. So maybe someone trying to get into the cockpit or something like that. Protect crew members and passengers aboard commercial flights. Take part in multi-agency task forces to proactively fight against terrorism. So that's probably that program, that model I was talking about. And then conduct investigations to protect travelers and crews on flight as well as arresting individuals who commit crimes concerning aviation or aboard a flight. So they are the ones that are going to have those federal arresting powers and they do carry firearms. Interestingly, so when I was talking to this FBI agent, she said anytime she was flying, whether she was flying with her family on vacation or flying from one city to the other to do business, FBI agents have to carry their guns on planes. Oh, they I didn't have know that. to like sort of become an air marshal and agree to intervene with something going on no matter what. She said the only exceptions were when like if she was traveling outside the country for pleasure or vacation with her family, then outside of the country necessarily they won't let you carry a gun. So they wouldn't do it then. But if it was within the United States, which is the FBI's territory anyway, they always had to. And she talked about having to intervene a couple of times. So it was really interesting. That is really interesting. I would never have thought of that. Like, I didn't think of it either. That, I wonder if that's officially publicized anywhere. It's very interesting. I don't know. I don't know. That's, I doubt it. I mean, I, I think it was just a little interesting little trivia that she was letting me into, but I think there is an amount of situations where the flight staff is equipped and trained in how to handle. Like we see them buckling people down with multiple oh, yeah. seatbelts or duct taping them. They're literally using what they have that aren't these law enforcement tools because they're not that, nor should we kind of expect them to be. But I have anecdotally known many law enforcement officers, both federal and local, who then go on to have careers after retirement as flight attendants. And I think that's kind of badass. <laughs> I think that's really cool. And they should pay them better as a result, too. I mean, they should well, be paying yeah. them better anyway. But when we escort the mentally ill back to their home country or home state, one of the things we'll do is always alert the people. Like, we don't want to make a big deal of it. Like, I don't have yeah. want to have like a big agency logo on my shirt, but I'll show them my, my ID and say, these are my responsibilities. I'm traveling with someone who's impaired. There's not likely going to be any kind of issue, but you should know. And, you know, yeah, I let them take the, do with the information what they will. Another factor in air rage is cramped spaces. So the available space in airplanes has progressively grown smaller and smaller over the years, over all of the airlines, as they have upgraded their flights. And like every other corporation, airlines are driven by profits. And since the events of 9-11, they're going to go into overdrive to save their profits. Seats have been getting narrower and overall people are getting larger. And I'm not making any judgment about that. That's no. just what it is. Yep. We are getting larger. I mean, and if you really want to have an aneurysm, just Google this term in quotation marks, proposed airline seating to see what is literally like double packed, double level tandem sardine no. cans. It's really frightening. And I don't know why they're even advertising it as a possibility because I don't think the general public's going to go for it. It's really gross. Ugh. Yeah, I was, I was hearing an expert talk about this saying people are just willing to pay $200 less, be packed in like this to get from point A to point B. Like they, they're just thinking about saving costs, which I get, of course, so am I every For single time. For some people, that's the only option. I get that. A hundred percent. And 
you know, it's just it, when you're booking it, you're just thinking, okay, let me get the cheapest option. You know, you're looking at these numbers that are going to go on your credit card right away. And that's tough and people are willing to put up with it. So it's, I don't know, but yeah, that gives me claustrophobia. Just thinking about those proposals. Something I think about is the fact that you have also vulnerable people on the plane, like the elderly and children and people that aren't just aren't used to conflict and violence and probably will freeze up. These can make cramped spaces even more worrisome for violent behavior to break out. And I, I think about things like having to climb over people or Uh, climb over seats to like subdue someone and how easy it would be for someone to be accidentally injured during some sort of scuffle because you're in such close proximity. And in a way, I mean, I know this, I I don't want to be fear mongering, but you're kind of like a sitting duck, you know, it's especially you can't see behind you, that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's, I'm always on high alert and ready to take care of business. But I know many people aren't. They're just kind of zoned out or trying to get from point A to point B. But I think it's nice to know there are probably a few people on each flight that are honed in on like just situational awareness. Well, you bring up a really interesting point about that inability or limited ability to maneuver yourself in a situation like that. I would also offer as part of that, that is maybe somewhat protective is that the person who's perpetrating is going to have limited maneuverability as, as well. well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting about the, the flights that knew they were going to be crashed into the towers. There's been so much discussion about what could have been done differently. And I think that, I mean, certainly the entire zeitgeist about that is completely changed now. Yeah. I don't think there'll ever be another flight where people don't get up en masse and with whatever they've got, even if they're yeah. it's their hands or throwing their bodies against. But that's never going to happen again. And but a lot of the experts that, you know, looking at it in, with the benefit of hindsight is there were, one person was saying, I think it was I think it was a Secret Service saying was like if people had and he wasn't saying it in a judgmental way, because one of the things that they could have done is their small hand luggage could have been used as weapons like oh, pick yeah. up your backpack, pick up anything that's hard, take off a shoe and just Mm -hmm. go for it. But of course, when you're in a a fear situation like that, a lot of people are freezing and they're going, they're telling me that everything's going to be okay if we just follow the rules. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't think anybody's ever going to fall for that. And the history moving forward, that's never going to be a. No, no, we just, we just giving it two seconds of thought is more than probably a lot of people had done pre 9-11. So just the fact that we're talking about it, thinking about it is putting into your head a plan. God forbid that should happen. You know, to grab something. Yeah, exactly. So again, these actions tend to appear to fall into categories regarding their motivation or their drive. And the big one that is very, very common in in these incidents is alcohol-induced or substance-driven. Alcohol disinhibition is a thing. It is not a thing in the way that we would assume that it's a thing. There's an issue called alcohol disinhibition theory, and that asserts that generally that when people are in a sober state, when they're not under the influence, they have behavior that is inhibited, meaning that their prefrontal cortex of the brain, it's working really well in tandem with the other parts that control emotional regulation, like the amygdala. But 
alcohol disinhibition theory states that when people are influenced by alcohol, that their inhibitions are weakened and that the motivating drives are therefore disinhibited and can potentially influence behavior. So they're saying is that basically alcohol just reduces the force field that you have around your primal id influences. But here's the thing. Long-term study of this theory does show some evidence that some individuals do experience alcohol or substance-related disinhibition. And then they go on to describe that disinhibition as, quote, a reduction of the forces holding back impulses and objective behavior in some respects that was different from when the subject was intoxicated. So they are kind of differentiating between those two states. However, the true function or the mechanism that mediates those behaviors isn't clear, and it's hard to measure independently the forces that inhibit or restrain versus the driving forces of those uncontrolled impulses. And then that final report of the study and data shows that there's no direct indication in the truth of the disinhibition hypothesis. But there is an alternative hypothesis that grew out of this study that I really find interesting, that the alternate perspective posits that alcohol-induced or drunken behavior is influenced much more strongly by societal norms about what it should look, feel, and behave like the pharmacological effect of alcohol. So it's basically mm -hmm. saying that you drink enough to then justify your behavior because you're drunk. Oh, I'm drunk. This is the way I act when I'm drunk. Got so it. It's the same types of behavior, but it's working via a different mechanism. So we've gotten to a point where we're like, oh, okay, this is what drunk is supposed to look like for me. Right. Let me just play that up a little bit. Yeah. God, I wonder what the the benefit or what need is that fulfilling for us? <laughs> Are we getting so little downtime in our life that we're like... This is playtime. Let me well lay it up. <laughs> the the thing that gets weird for me in looking at that kind of data is that I would assume that it's like okay, then like you're saying, what is the function that this is serving? Is it that someone is so uptight and so well put together and controlled and regulated that they feel like they deserve a chance to act out. But if you look at the majority of these cases, it's people that were problematic to begin with. They had a history. Most of these people oh, have a sure. history. Yeah. You know, this this makes me think like, I wonder who the population was that this study was done on because, you know, so many studies out of universities are done on college kids. And I feel like in Good college... Point. You don't have a good idea of like one, like your tolerance and that sort of thing. And kind of there's this, this framework of what a drunk sort of party goer should look and act like. And then once you mature sort of past that, I feel like we get to a place where we're like, okay, this is what I'm like, when yeah. I'm intoxicated. So maybe they're living up to this sort of stereotype. I don't know. I no, just... that's a great, I, that's always something important to remember is the easiest place to recruit study participants is on college campuses. So yeah. that's going to skew a lot of reports. Yeah. All right. So thank you for doing a lot of talking there in your COVID state. So take a little break, Scott, with your voice. <laughs> I want to talk about entitlement issues because this seems to really seep through with the behaviors that we're seeing, whether or not alcohol is on board, but an entitlement mentality essentially exists where individuals see themselves as superior to others in perspective of how they should be treated and what services and benefits they should have really unfettered 
access to. So we can already start to picture how this would play out on an airplane, which I think we're going to point out later, like, please don't forget that, you know, this is a service that you're buying (laughs) from a private entity. Like you really aren't entitled to shit. (laughs) It's not like this is a, a social service that is granted to everybody no matter what. But then with this entitlement, it ends up challenging interpersonal relationships and sort of navigating the world around that person that is really going to lead to difficulty. So even in just in this person's life, it's probably not just an airline situation per se, but they're probably displaying this type of behavior with other people and other uh, environments, whether it be work or home or whatever they do in their extracurricular activities, other types of travel as well, that this is just... They, they feel like they're owed something once they, they put out this money. Yes, of course, you're owed respect, you're owed professionalism, and hopefully for these things to kind of happen flawlessly, which I think we don't look at the amount of times that it does. We really, it's human nature to just look at when things go wrong, especially with flights. I try to practice gratitude with, man, that was an easy flight, or that went flawless, or I got through security well, just to keep myself in a good mood when I'm traveling. What's interesting is that entitled individuals often navigate the world pretty well. So an air of confidence works well for people, especially when they can back up that confidence with actual intelligence and capabilities. People with entitled mentality generally tend to interview well, and they even go on to obtain positions of leadership because of that confidence. Generally, what falls apart is the ability to work well with others and engage in problem solving that then serves the greater good or goals of their workplace. So there's some upsides to it, but there's also that is really fascinating though that meant yeah that that there's an idea that there's a whole idea that we study entitled mentality and we have a name for it that's fascinating yeah i mean you know there's entitled people that you're just like god just shut up and stop talking and it's like even worse when they can back up what they're saying because they've really like studied it (laughs) it's almost like god dang it they know what they're talking about they're not just idiots (laughs) so it's it's that's frustrating those i can i can probably take a breath and swallow it a little bit and maybe wish that they had had better interpersonal skills, but the yes. entitlement without anything to back it up is always seems to be what causes problems, or at least what we see, you know, yeah. in cases like this. Now, another factor that could be a part of all of this or separate unto itself is actual true diagnosable mental illness, whether it's a current expression or a historical factor in a person's life. And as we've said before, and we're always going to emphasize on this podcast is that individuals with mental health issues are much more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators of crime. But again, if it is a violent crime and the person is mentally ill, we're going to hear about it. Like they're just going to, that's immediately going to be part of the, if it bleeds it leads of the news cycle. But given the factors that we've discussed so far regarding the stressors of flight, it's possible and it's likely that individuals with more severe forms of mental illness could be triggered by those stressors of flying. And while I have pretty strong clinical vibes on many of the reports that we read in preparation for this episode, it isn't appropriate for me to comment on the potential for mental health issues in the open cases. Like, and there's been a couple of cases that I specifically carved out not to cover because there was so much emphasis on the mental health of the person and then no follow-up. So uh, first of all, I think that's really bad reporting. Sure. And verging, if you're mentioning their name 
And then you're going to make these suppositions about them. I think that kind of verges on the violation of, of HIPAA, but mm. that's just me. But again, for a distinct few, it seems very clear that there's some altered or impaired ideation. So impaired thought and impaired perception, because in some of these cases, people were clearly responding to internal stimuli, meaning they were right. hearing or seeing things that weren't there. Right. And it's it's not just, you know, there, there's so many other factors that would be on board, like we know with any violent acting out by someone with mental health issues, that it's it's not just their mental health diagnosis in a bubble resulting in this. So that that holds true with these cases on flights as well. So I want to turn to just kind of some what happened in 2021 and again, just kind of lending towards why we saw a spike during this time. On January 13th, 2021, former FAA Administrator Steve Dixon signed an order directing a stricter legal enforcement policy against unruly airline passengers in the wake of some troubling incidents that had been happening really since flight started up again after COVID. And the policy spurred by incidents tied to masks and violence at the U.S. Capitol was originally set to expire at the end of March 2021, and it ended up getting extended all the way until they lifted the federal mask mandate altogether. So if you fly now, you know that you have the option, of course, to wear a mask, but it's not required for passengers or for flight attendants or any other of the staff. And the price for being an unruly passenger and causing an incident could be up to a $37,000 fine for each incident. There could be multiples in sort of one melee on a plane. And individual airlines also added unruly passengers to no-fly or banned lists. So they have the authorization to be able to do that themselves. I was watching the flight attendant's union president speak. And she was saying that this system isn't perfect because they need to be able to talk to each other because essentially someone could get banned from one airline and then that just ends up shifting shifting them over to another airline and they have no clue that there's been a problem with this. So she's talking from the stance of wanting to protect her people. It seems like it should be a TSA issue, right? Yeah, it like seems what, like, like it. You, you go through you go through your screening and you hand them your ID as the first thing, even before your boarding pass. They want to know who you are. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what has to happen on that end, but it sounds like they're trying to use 2021 as a learning lesson and protect the staff and the crew members better moving forward. So essentially, when you're on a plane, I think a lot of people ask, well, what can you get in trouble for? I kind of say like, basically, you just have to do everything a flight attendant says. So interfering with the duties of a crew member violates federal law. So whether they tell you you need to be in your seat, whether they tell you, hey, you can't smoke in the bathroom, whatever it is, if you are interfering with their duties or not listening to the instructions they're giving you, you're violating federal law. And I think people really lose sight of that. I think about it every time, you know, we're still like taking off and haven't leveled out yet and people get up to go use the bathroom. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm such a rule follower though. <laughs> no, I am too. I'm so glad you said that. There's There was a great meme I read the other day where somebody was saying that they walk through the security when they're leaving Best Buy and they think, oh wait, I didn't put a 32 inch TV up my butt, did I? You know? <laughs> Totally. You know, like, I know. I, like I laughed at it because I'm always like, I see police lights on and I go, what did oh God, I do? What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> yeah. But you can't it really, I mean, 
I know my husband has had situations where he's like, I know the seatbelt light is on. I'm so sorry. Can I use the restroom? And they're kind of like, well, you're not supposed to, but you know, and kind of give him like leeway to go ahead and risk it if you want sort of thing. But going back to what you said, being polite, not being this crazy person that's like, I don't care if the seatbelt light's on. I'm going to go use the bathroom. There's ways to go about this that you could make their day more pleasant. Don't you, are you the one that like, stops at Trader Joe's and buys snacks for flight attendants? I have done that. <laughs> but you know what I'm doing now is... Um, you suck I'm, up. I'm You're more of a suck them, up than I am. They, you know, I figured they always like have snacks and you never know what the diets are. So I started buying a Starbucks cards. Oh, like sweet. Li- like little $5 Starbucks cards. But here's the thing. Here's where I'm, I'll confess to all of our, our listeners. I put like a, a card advertising LA Not So Confidential in it. You're brilliant. But I figure, you know, they need just just to need to know that they're appreciated, even if they're cranky. Like I was I had a cranky one one time and then I sat down and I did that thing that you were talking about. Like, wait, I'm flying in a tube. I'm going 550 miles an hour. I, you know, in the this is pioneer days, like there would be three generations that died and were born on the way from I one know. coast to the other. Like I'm getting there in like four hours. Uh-huh. I should shut the hell up and just like think yeah. that she's maybe having or he's having a bad day. But generally, yeah. it's it's been great. Yeah, that's awesome. That, I'm sure that goes a long way. They need coffee and they need podcasts to listen to, right? So come on. The FAA has civil authority allowing it to impose fines, but it doesn't have the criminal prosecutorial authority. That's why they then have to turn cases over to the FBI for that. They So they have that big fine that you can get, that $37,000 for just one incident. I guess the maximum civil penalty per violation was $25,000, but that upped after they started seeing this spike. And the repercussions for passengers who engage in unruly behavior can be substantial if these fines start really stacking up on top of each other. Any security violations are then handled by TSA. So you kind of have FBI, FAA, TSA as these different entities that can punish people for their bad behavior. And did you know that the FAA has a podcast? <laughs> You're on. Of course they do. Yeah, it's called The Air Up There. And it's described as a podcast for people who are curious about the wide world of aviation. Join the FAA as we nerd out about the future of flight, drones, and the ways to make national airspace systems safer, smarter, and more efficient. I mean, they're not have, sponsoring this podcast, but they're not. And I don't have time to add anything else to my listening because I've got so much on my plate. But that actually sounds fascinating to me. It does. And they you know? did a few episodes sort of covering safety and the spike and all of this and just how to behave like a human when that, that's my term, not there right. when when you're flying. So I thought that was interesting that they're they're getting in the podcast game, which is so smart. So what drove the spike in these incidents? There's actually some interviews and research being done on this. Ben Balzana, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, (laughs) Spirit Airlines, (laughs) and the co-host of the Airlines Confidential Podcast is asserting that it's because of the inconsistent and ever-changing mask rules, which I guess is possible and logical. Ben goes on to state that in 2021, the airlines proactively made masks required on board early in the pandemic, with JetBlue being the first. But although the airlines were quick to adopt policies, there was a bit of conflict and messaging from different agencies. The mask policies became federal mandate in May. The CDC stated that vaccinated people do not need masks, except when they're in crowded places. So already now we 
we've got a conflict. Which people can use as their argument, right? Of like, well, this says this, but this says this. So how are you going to tell that's me what to do? That's not the basis for, an, I mean, I'm sorry, in a crisis, that's not the basis I for know. an argument. But I that's know. where that's where this entitlement and, you know, this sort of I'm self-educated about the, it's just a rabbit hole right there. Anyway, a lot of travelers, especially if they haven't flown in a while, they didn't know that while they don't need a mask in the grocery store, they do need it in the airport and on the airplane because they're different businesses. Yes. If this business allows you to wear a belly shirt and bare feet, <laughs> and that doesn't mean that the airline is going to. That's just, that is common sense. Because but we should all be wearing sport coats. <laughs> exactly. We should all be wearing belly shirts and sport coats. I think that's going to be a great look. I would 100% do that. Yeah. It's okay at my age as long as my belly button is covered. <laughs> But out of the 2,500 incidents that have occurred this year in 2022, a large majority have been about masking, like you said, mask requirements and mask policy. And of the over 3,000 people that are currently banned from flying by airlines, many of those are because they refused to wear their mask on board in the way they were directed to wear it. Peace out. Yeah. So look, masks work when they're used properly. And the science on that is pretty much clear. I'm just not even willing to debate it. Like it's the debates on it are just ridiculous. And airlines have done a really good job explaining that the relative safety of onboard air environment is improved due to the constant recirculation and filtering of that air. But all of this described safety is also predicated by the assumption that people are wearing their mask. It's not just one or other. It's all these precautions that should be taken until we figure everything out. And that's where a lot of the conflict came in is that you got one message here, you got a partially different message or partially conflicting message that doesn't mean that it's all incorrect or that one is incorrect and one is correct. It means that the science is still being figured out. That's the way science works. Anyway, federal mandates served to protect in-flight crews who know that they can confidently be backed by the law, not just their company's policy, which might be driven or affected strongly by public opinion. So this does nothing, though, for those people who don't want to wear a mask and it doesn't influence their decision, doesn't influence their behavior. And more often, those people are pushing their views and beliefs in places that they actually don't have a legal right to. Yeah. So combined with point one above, this has contributed greatly to the increasingly violent in-flight behavior. So Ben Balzana also opined that there were less frequent flyers in the air last year because businesses were not having as many in-person meetings. Therefore, this left less experienced flyers to take to the skies. Less frequent flyers were targeted with great prices or higher prices, and sometimes even first-time flyers were flying, and they are not as familiar with the rules. So yeah. here's the thing, though. I appreciate his opinion. I appreciate mm -hmm. that perspective, but he's also not giving any data. And I don't know if anybody's out there saying oh, no, totally. how many first-time flyers are you? Because yeah. I know that that's also a little bit of a controversial stance to take because I remember on The View, mm -hmm. I remember it was on The View at one time. They were like, oh, it's just getting terrible on the flights it's because flights are so cheap. Ooh, and they that's were, a yucky so they statement were, yes, make. exactly. They were implying that people with lower income were having a whole set of behaviors, which that's yeah. uh, that's a correlation you can't make. You don't have any data for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I, if if there was data to back this up, I could definitely like my hypothesis would be you have a huge chunk of people who fly every day 
who literally fly every day, right? These are business travelers yeah. that know the culture. They know the appropriate ways to act and, and they just have like the flow down. So they ebb and flow with it a lot. And if you remove them and then you have people who really are jumping on opportunities to fly places and probably haven't gone anywhere. So they're like desperate to get out of town, taking advantage of some great prices, but they're not people who have flown during the pandemic. It can be a little disorienting. And, that, no, and that's true. Just, I, so I, I think it's, I, I, I take your point as fair. I take his sort of hypothesis as fair. It would just be nice to see some data behind it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the way you just parse that is actually more interesting to me. I wouldn't say that it's people who haven't flown before, but it's people who have not been able to fly so much because of pandemic. Yeah. Not because they didn't want to, as opposed to business flyers and experienced flyers who had to because mm -hmm. of work. Here yeah. we have a lot of people and maybe they are like they don't have the normal flow built into them that the seasoned travelers do. That's a very interesting. I wonder if anybody will do studies on that. That'd be oh, well, I'm good sure. to know. I'm sure. There's another element here that I wanted to cover, which is just that people have pandemic fatigue and have for a while, right? So this concept of pandemic fatigue is, of course, not unique to just the experience of air travel, but as a contained source of study focus, because rather than it being a unique situation, it has been documented and framed as a significant level of reaction to over a year, well over a year of stringent restrictions on public movement and an infringement on what is considered a quote-unquote normal life. And... Every day, I feel like we're just evolving with what is normal now. Again, you know, you coming back from another weekend of travel, unfortunately, with COVID again. But again, it's not just restricted to the experience of flying because all sorts of businesses now have to deal with customers that are apparently unable to follow even the most basic rules meant to protect everyone. And in the smaller contained and heightened environment of airports and on actual airplanes, pandemic fatigue results in tensions rising because both the crew members as well as the other passengers can quickly turn on customers that are perceived to be behaving inappropriately on a plane. So everyone's kind of jacked up because of all of this. And then you got that one asshole that's just going to take it to another level. <laughs> so Maybe a child's refusing to wear a mask or someone decides to assert that they have been eating and drinking the entire flight as if that's possible and therefore is not required to be wearing a mask for that activity. And this is where our previous exploration of entitlements, I guess, comes into play. So many of these people see that their quote unquote freedoms are being assaulted or a violation of their rights is happening, which again is really interesting when you look at the fact that you are purchasing a service from a private corporation and you're engaging in a purchased privilege not a right here. So that privilege can be taken away or you can be punished if you're behaving badly. Yeah. And, you know, this, this, my freedoms are being taken away. I think people are spouting that in every situation. And I'm sorry, you, you don't have blanket freedom everywhere. That's interesting too, that you bring that particular point up because in the times that individuals who have been charged with things like people who have lost their privilege, like they've been banned from flights and they try and take it to court, what they they'll try and go to a constitutional right 
of freedom of movement, sort of that sovereign citizen oh, type God. thing of like, no, I have the freedom to move freely between the states. And the Stop judge is it. like, yeah, but not on my yeah. bicycle. Walk. <laughs> you know, Bye. you're going to walk or drive <laughs> or take a bus until the bus like doesn't allow you I'm to not driving. I'm traveling. <laughs> yes, exactly. There is an, another point that you had thrown out for this that I thought was so fascinating when we were discussing it, the idea of locus of control. And uh, we've mentioned this in several episodes. So locus of control is a concept which is looking at the degree to which people believe that they have control over their individual lives and all the forces that come to bear. So external forces may have control over the outcome of events in their lives or that they believe that the majority of external forces take away their rights or control things that they can't have any agency in. This concept has been around for years and it's become a significant aspect of what we call personality psychology, which was developed by Julian Rotter. People with a high external locus of control feel that they're in less control of their lives and they lack the ability to influence events no matter how hard they try. And those with a strong internal locus of control are the opposite. They tend to think that everything is within their control. So there's a balance for individuals that's actually kind of healthy. When I, as a person, can critically evaluate the world around me to determine what is and what is not in my control, that that's really valuable. I'd go so far as to say that many of the perpetrators of these types of airline crimes have a pretty strong sense of internal control, yet they are now placed in a situation where that is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So moving from being fairly isolated and being away from other people to having to comply with an, this very rigid set of rules for flight, meaning you no longer have full autonomy about your travel as compared to, say, being in your car. You know, while this situation is really no different than it was even four years ago, except for the mass, the change conditions of day-to-day -day life under pandemic have shifted the central core of control in our lives when it comes to air travel. So I haven't thought of locus of control and applying it to this sort of talk until now, but it sounds like, you know, we each kind of have just sort of by default, are we more of an external or internal person? And if you guys want to just Google Rotter, R-O-T-T-E-R, locus of control test, you can do it online. But what you're saying is that we need to have a little bit of flexibility given yes. certain situations to be able to say, oh, got to give up a little control here for the time being because there's some rules in place and that we do probably in different environments just kind of toggle back and forth depending on the situation. It shouldn't be so rigid. It, we have a default that we lean towards, right. but we need to learn to be flexible in that. Well, and, and, and have critical thinking. Yeah. This right now is out of my control. I cannot right. control this. And that's okay. I, it's okay. And I'll be okay. But maybe I can control my behavior in response to it. And I can explore other things that I am in control of as yep. well as my behavior. Yeah. So there's also this notion where people and some people were, were sort of opining that violence is just more common everywhere during this time. So, of course, we're going to see a violent spike in terms of violence on, you know, in different arenas, including on airlines and on flights. I don't think this is true because when you go back and you look at the actual numbers. One, it's really hard. So 2021 is an especially difficult year to look at crime rates. And a lot of the data that the FBI has on one hand actually shows that violent crime went down. However, there were major 
metropolitan cities in this country that didn't report or contribute to that data. So I don't think it might be true. We just don't know how it would be skewed if like Los Angeles and New York had contributed their data. I don't know if they just haven't yet because we're only, you know, not even a year out of 2021. So they probably have a full year to get that in if we're talking about like uniform crime report stuff. But the sort of shoddy information that we do have is that violent crime actually went down in 2021. So this doesn't really hold a lot of water. So what I think is happening here is that we certainly had a period of time in 2021 where it seemed like all the news headlines were showing people looting stores and major metropolitan areas like Los Angeles, where there were these horrific follow-home robberies that were very brazen, other types of armed robberies happening, happening, you know, midday, mothers, pushing babies in strollers, being held up at gunpoint. And so this is what we were seeing on the news all the time and sort of this feeling of this is happening, but nothing's really being done to capture or punish these individuals. So what comes to mind for me is like the the mobs of people that run into like, like a CVS and just start grabbing stuff off the shelves, right? And loss prevention has said like, okay, we're going to be hands off on this. We can't really do this. We have to cut our losses. And so that was sort of lending to this perception that there was very little consequence to some of these actions. So again, if this is bleeding and leading... If we're taking this in from the media, how much of it is really happening to a statistically significant degree that's increased? Or is it just something we're seeing over and over again? So just to say, like, I just wanted to address that I don't think the numbers are really there for us to say whether or not like, oh, violence is spiked overall. So of course, it's going to spike here too. I really think it's like this neatly packaged factor, you know, soup that we have today of all of these things going on. Now, I will say with a lot of the video footage, because again, you guys can Google air rage and see all of the video footage that is taken with these incidents, alcohol is clearly a factor in a lot of these. So because of this, many airlines actually implemented no more alcohol being served during 2021. It's back on the flights that I've been on, but it it certainly there was a ban where they were trying to control that. Another issue that I think is really important and reflected in so many areas of industry right now is staffing issues. Like everybody is looking for employment. I mean, everybody's looking for employees, like all agencies. There's a nursing shortage. There's law enforcement shortage. There's all sorts of shortages. And this goes even back to after 9-11 to save costs. Airlines went down to real minimums for staffing. And I truly believe, actually, that there was also a corporate reason for that, just because I have had several friends who were long-term flight attendants for American. And I witnessed these guys that were my age and older, you know, having put in a long career and then just have their pensions cut, like severely, severely cut, really brutally. But then you fast forward to the pandemic and you have this mass retirement, people going, I'm done. Okay. This is where I'm going to cut my losses. I'm out of here. And people leaving jobs. And that's, like I said, that's happening in a lot of professions. It was really unknown if their jobs would even survive. And then that left less staff to handle more of these problem passengers. So like you're saying, it may be a niche phenomenon, Mm -hmm. but there's also less staff to handle it. They're trying to recruit new staff, which means they have a, a lot of inexperienced staff coming in. The more seasoned staff members have more experience handling these things. But if they're leaving in droves, 
you know, what's the situation going to be like? Then you have people behaving badly. Staff aren't going to sign up for overtime. I'm so stressed out. Who wants to be abused during another yeah. shift? Like, is it really worth the money? And I think anybody can relate to that. Like, you're like, yes, I, I need money. I really need money. But like, I'm not going to make it through the night if I, I'm not going to have my mental health surviving this if Absolutely. I don't take care of myself. Right. Yeah. So. It's so interesting because we, up until now, we've really thought about this with like first responder type jobs through the pandemic and and just the the droves of people leaving the workforce. But they kind of are it, first responders now, right? I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And that they are in jobs where they're really weighing, do I put up with this bullshit for a paycheck? So it's really, really interesting. Again, like just sort of listening to an interview with their union president saying, you know, they would, it like OT was so abundant and people would do it because it was so easy at one point. And now they're like, heck no, I'm, you can't pay me enough to go deal with these folks. So well, I think another factor is that when their salaries were the appropriate level they were supposed to be, then the yeah. overtime was substantial. Oh, the sure, the, the sure. amount you got paid was actually substantial now because it's like, oh, you're going to give me bird seed and a half. I'm no not going to work for bird seed and a half. Yeah, exactly. Well, so turning to what research is out there, unfortunately, there's no psychological research in this area yet. With the spike being just last year, I'm sure researchers are working away on examining these cases right now. Really, the only paper I could find was really old. It was from 2001, and it was a simple case study of an individual experiencing a psychotic episode during a flight. So they did highlight, however, and the only reason I really even mentioned this, is they wanted to emphasize that psychiatric disorders seldom cause incidents in aircrafts. So just lending back to what you were saying when we talk about mental health as an issue or a factor here that even these researchers all those years ago were saying, look, psychiatric disorders on their own are not causing incidents in aircrafts. Also, interestingly, there's a book called Air Rage, Crisis in the Skies. I didn't bother picking it up or reading through it. It's also from 2001. But if you watch some of these interviews that news outlets were doing last year, they're always interviewing this author. And so it'll be interesting if he has updated his data, but I think he's just kind of the go-to guy because he wrote this, this book. Actually, it came out at like on September 1st, 2001. So it was even pre 9-11. And of all the research that's out there, the existing data is just legal in nature. So it's really examining like passenger rights and how cases are prosecuted successfully in various different countries and what models they're using. So we're not going to review those here today, but I do want to look at an area that's of interest to you and I, because given our backgrounds in sex offender treatment, I wanted to talk about a, a little deviation from just like air rage, but sex crimes on airplanes. And the reason that this was on my radar before you and I even decided to do this episode is because friend of the show, our friend Wes, who's an FBI agent, he used to be assigned to a major airport here in Southern California. And he wrote a very enlightening article just last month about sexual assault on airplanes. So FBI data indicates that there was a 65% increase in sexual violence cases on board aircraft between 2014 and 2017. That's a little chunk of time that they looked at, but 65% is major. And we know that most 
sexually violent crimes are perpetrated by people known to the victim. However, this is not the case when it comes to sex crimes in the air. The majority of perpetrators are men who are strangers who sit next to their victims. I know. I'm looking at your face, Scott. Don't fall asleep on an airplane next to a stranger is all I'm saying here. (laughs) If you take one thing away from this episode, they do often have a history of sexual assault and aircraft sexual abuse varies ranging from frittage. Remember what frittage is? So rubbing up against someone, rubbing your genitals against someone in the sort of passing by them sort of way. Also flashing and groping all the way up until some type of penetration. So what I love is that in our friend's article, he discusses how these offenders really follow the same general steps of grooming their victim, but they do it in such a short amount of time because they only have the duration of the flight. So let me just review the steps for you of grooming, and then I'll talk about each of these. The steps are identifying the victim, gaining trust, filling a need, isolating, initiating sexual contact, and then maintaining control. So those are the six steps to grooming. Going back to identifying the victim, Scott, when do you think that this perpetrator could be sizing up their potential victim? Before they even board the plane. Yeah. They're going to look for... waiting around, right? Yeah, look for probably somebody traveling alone, female, I would say probably younger. Okay. Like I, th- I think the research is going to show that it's uh, tending to be younger. At least those are the anecdotally, those are the re- the news headlines that I seem to see. It's that it's younger women. Okay. So yeah, they're, they're, we're all sitting at the gate well before we have to be there. If you're not the person that's running up trying to get the gate to open. <laughs> so they can easily see who's coming, going, who's in their same area, waiting for the same flight. And as we know about sex offenders, they're really good about reading their victims, reading their body language, and determining who's going to be the best target. So there really is no victim profile per se. This happens to all genders. It happens to all ages. The only real commonality that was found is that they're traveling alone. So you, you definitely nailed that. Now, the second step, gaining trust... This can happen just either before or when they sit down next to the person where they're engaging in easygoing conversations to gain the person's trust. And this may do a couple things. It puts someone at ease like, oh, this person is just a nice person and or, oh, okay, they introduced themselves to me. Maybe they told me a little bit about them. I told them a little bit about myself. And it allows you to have this false sense of safety where this could even lend to feeling safe enough to fall asleep next to somebody. Or sort of looking down the line after the offense happens, it can it can influence victims to have reservations about saying something if they're uncomfortable or if something is tried, attempted, or perpetrated against them. Especially in this weird situation where you're just inches away from a hundred other people. Oh, completely, completely. So the third step is filling a need. So the way that this is conceptualized on an airplane is that this could be filling the need of companionship, like having a partner to dialogue with when you're on an airplane, to providing alcohol or medication to someone who's a nervous flyer, which... Don't ever take medication from somebody that you don't know, even if it's in a 
marked bottle or something. But there's this little interaction where it's like, okay, this the perpetrator ends up filling a need for this person. Hey, I'm going to engage in conversation with you and we're going to chat or I'm going to tell you that it's going to be okay if you're feeling uncomfortable about the flight or here, let me buy you a drink or, oh, I have some medication that'll help you relax, that sort of thing. And then isolating is the fourth step in grooming. And Positioning, physical positioning is really important here. Victims are often trapped in the window or the middle seat with the perpetrator on the aisle, basically between them and freedom, if you will. And in this case, a victim is essentially dependent on the aisle person to let them out for really any range of movement. I mean, to stretch or use the restroom, you're at their mercy, whether it's just a regular person, right? You have to have the nerve to be like, hey, I'm sorry, can I get up and use the restroom? I don't know why we apologize because we all have to pee. We got to pee, right? It's just what we do. So obviously I see this more in types of flights where you where the seats aren't assigned, where the person can size someone up and then sit next to them. I think women probably as fucking polite as we are, think, oh, well, we're smaller. You know, if I get on the plane, I'll take a window seat. So, you know, someone bigger than me can have room to stretch or something like that. But what are you doing? You're trapping yourself against a window. So this is just really interesting how this can play out in this small space with tons of people around and sex offenders are still good at making this happen. So after the person is isolated, we have initiating the sexual contact and this can occur where the victim is asleep or awake. And get this, it's not about the offender being sexually satisfied in the moment. So don't think about like these sort of drawn out situations where the offenders like actively masturbating or something like that. It's about getting away with it in the moment. It's about it's a paraphilia in that way, correct? It's a paraphilia in that way. And I, I think it's one, as we know, about power. I don't think I have to, you know, that goes without saying, but I really think it's about building fantasy material for later. Like in other words, they're going to sexually satisfy themselves later thinking, ha. Ah, Look at what I did to this unsuspecting, unconsenting person, and I got away with it. So you then have, if the victim is awake or wakes up, the perpetrator really has to be banking on the fact that the victim's going to be too embarrassed or scared to say anything, likely due to the grooming process that they invested in already. So it's it's a huge, huge risk, but this is someone that clearly has very little impulse control in this behavior, in this essentially a paraphilia. And then you have maintaining control. So in, in this article, the author talks about, since this is a stranger crime, control isn't maintained through like a long-term relationship like it is in other pre-existing abusive relationships. So the ar- the article argues that control is maintained in the cases that go unreported, that's where the control lies. The offender gains a sense of power by not being turned in and caught or punished and therefore goes on to offend. And that's where the control is. Wow. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. I mean, breaking it down into those particular foundational elements is so helpful, especially for anyone who's been listening to when we do refer to paraphilias. This is a perfect Mm -hmm. example of an example of, you know, we talk about like whether or not sexual activity is acceptable. Well, this person is not consenting. This person is now being victimized by a predator. I have an example of something that is not 
particular, I don't know I mean, how to describe how it's related. It certainly is an issue of madness in the skies. But several years ago, there was a big issue that was reported in the gay-oriented magazines regarding a very, very popular adult film star who is very well known as a, a gay male adult film star, a younger man who looks very mature and okay. is very tall, very handsome, very muscular, very well known in the adult film community. And he posted online on his OnlyFans a video of him having sex with a consenting flight attendant in the onboard restroom. Oh, so boy. he was in the Mile, Mile High, High Club with yeah. an employee. And while the employee clearly knew that he was being filmed, he did not in any way know that he was going to be posted online. There was no blurring of his face, and uh -oh. he immediately lost his job. It was a huge, huge deal. And the film star was pretty callous about it. Like his, his reaction was almost, I would say dismissive. Like, you know, it's not my problem. I think eventually when he came back, he kind of took a break from social media. And when he came back, his response was, I'm just going to focus on living my true self. And I'm like, ah, uh, that's a non-response. <laughs> the crime here was that this is complex. It's like, is it against the law to have sex in a restroom mm. of an airplane? I don't think it's against the law. This was a consenting person, but you use their image without their consent. But is that against the law? Right. Technically, you could sue for it in a civil case. I don't know if it's a criminal case, but it's completely inappropriate. I mean, and there are going to be plenty of people out there that are saying, hey, he should never, he's an employee. He shouldn't have done that. Absolutely agree. Oh, that's that a was, separate issue. That's a different issue. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't be having sex while you're getting paid. Like, that's just not doing your job. Unless you're getting paid for the sex, which is fine, but oh. not while you're getting paid for another job. Yeah, you need right? to take a break for that. An official exactly. break. <laughs> Let's just Clock make out. sure we separate those things. Got it. But, I mean, it, and I've been researching this lately because... I've had to in my normal day job, but it depends on the jurisdiction. So in California, that could fall under the revenge porn law, oh, even yeah. though it's not in revenge. Like this is what I had to wrap my head around was that, well, it's, What's it's not being intent? done. Yeah. It's not like this couple broke up and it's because they're pissed off at each other or something like that. It's just that it is done without the person's consent, the the uploading of the video to mass media. So, yeah. but that's just in California. I don't know. What yeah. I mean, like we've talked about this before as well, that how does state and federal law keep up with the ever-changing vista of how media affects our day-to-day -day lives? Sex crimes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So let's get back to the nitty-gritty of the criminal cases. Let's revisit Patricia. Patricia sure. Cornwall from our opening introduction to this episode. The male passenger that was in 37C told Cornwall that her statement was inappropriate and that she isn't Black. This isn't Alabama. And this isn't a bus. Then he called her a Karen. Sit down, Karen, he said to Cornwall, according to the complaint. Newsflash and shocker, Patricia has a criminal record. <gasps> what? Who could possibly have seen this coming? Oh. Who could possibly have seen this coming? A month prior to the event, Cornwall allegedly tried to fight law enforcement in Florida, Florida, during an arrest for driving under the influence. At that time, law enforcement were called to the scene by tow truck employees. They were responding to a crash to provide her assistance. They came upon the incident and said that they saw Cornwall sitting in the driver's seat of the crashed car, attempting to reverse her vehicle away from the crash site. 
And the arrest report states the tow truck driver immediately detected the odor of alcohol upon approaching her car. So she then again, allegedly became aggressive with law enforcement after crashing her car into the tree. And then that was Santa Rose Beach on November 10th. Official documents report that Cornwall refused to exit her vehicle or provide law enforcement with her name. When she eventually exited her vehicle, she was reported to, quote, unquote, go after the first responders on the scene. So I'm not sure if she heard the first responders tell the police, hey, there's alcohol involved, but whatever, she was going after them. Previous law enforcement encounters resulted in reports of probation for DUI while she was residing out here in Los Angeles and a DV restraining order placed on her by her sister-in-law. And the sister-in-law's TRO or temporary restraining order asserted that Cornwall had an infatuation with her newborn son and her two daughters. What? Wacky. Okay, wacky. The sister-in-law went on to state that in an interview that she has bipolar tendencies and paranoia. She believes that we are the government and I fear for my life and my children. Oh boy, I didn't see that twist coming. Yeah. So, I mean, understandable somebody with existing issues if those are those are alleged by a third party. And I hear a lot of people say like, oh, so-and-so has bipolar tendencies. She's so paranoid. Like this could be just flip it. Like, yeah. Also, anytime I hear the word tendencies is like, really? Okay. What do you mean by that? Because that's not a thing. (laughs) It's not like, are you you tending to be pregnant right now? No, it's either, it's (laughs) an either or thing, right? (laughs) You are, you are. The answer is no. Okay. So let's, let's run through a couple of stories to highlight here, aside from Miss Cornwall's. This case is very recent, happened in September 2022, and it involves a passenger flying to Los Angeles from Mexico who attacked an American Airlines flight attendant, leading to an arrest and one of those lifetime bans from the airline. The video footage shot by a passenger shows the flight attendant asking a passenger if someone was threatening him, like threatening the flight attendant, like, were you threatening me? Basically sort of thing. He then turns his back to the passenger he was questioning and the passenger gets up, runs toward him and punches him in the back of the head. Law enforcement met the plane upon landing and arrested 33-year-old Alexander Lee of Westminster, California. He was removed from the plane and the feds are following through with one count of interference with flight crew members and attendants. So that's the charge. Turns out Lee's behavior had been problematic early into the flight when he grabbed a flight attendant's shoulder and asked for coffee. Not the way to do it. After grabbing both shoulders of a flight attendant, he was then loitering near the front of the plane. Again, you cannot loiter up there. It makes people very nervous. And then he decided to just sit in an unoccupied seat up there. And this is when the flight attendant asked him to return to his seat. Lee then made fists with his hands and took a swing at the crew member, but didn't connect that time. And shortly after that happened, this is when the exchange occurred and he attacked the flight attendant. After the attack, Lee then ran toward the back of the plane, but several passengers stopped him. His hands and legs were cuffed with flex cuffs. That's what the the flight attendant and the rest of the staff had. And then he was restrained with a a seat belt and then seat belt extenders after he repeatedly was unbuckling his seat belt. So that was a mess. Yeah, a real mess. And apparently there was something about, I guess the first the beginning of the incident had him in the middle of service or when service was being set up, he goes up and demands a cup of coffee 
He wants his coffee. He wants it right yeah. now. And yeah. then they were, they were trying to direct him and watching the video was really weird because you, he's wearing like a floral pattern shirt, sort of like on vacation. Okay. And then he walks towards the back of the plane, but somebody's already filming it. Cause they can tell like something's up. He's with agitated. This guy. Yeah. yeah. So he walks back and then you see him just turn around and run and it's a flying punch. The punch is thrown with the entire force of his body. I mean, Jeez. something is definitely going on there. Chilling. I mean, that actually yeah. is like, it's not humorous at all. It's like, what is going on with this guy? But as we're going back, here's another one that was really sort of the, the first one that was so big was in May 2021. It was a Southwest Airlines flight attendant. She lost two teeth in one of the brawls. And this flight was from Sacramento to San Diego. I think that's like maybe a 90 minute flight. Oh yeah. It's pretty short. Gosh. So passenger Viviana Quinones, age 28, repeatedly ignored all the standard in-flight instructions, which are, well, we can all say it out of memory, tray table up in upright position, seatbelt fastened, and being asked to wear her mask as they're getting ready to deplane. So you know, follow the rules. But she becomes verbally and physically abusive after they've landed, allegedly socking the female flight attendant right in the face. And it's interesting that we are using the word allegedly, which is yeah. probably very appropriate because, again, there is video of this where you see that fist connecting with her and also the stunned look on the flight attendant. I know. Yeah. Southwest rightfully so, has banned Quinones, and she faces felony charges of battery causing serious bodily injury for that incident. One witness who was just sitting about two rows away said that the flight attendant had escalated the situation. Viviana had said to her three times that we sh we could hear, get off me, quit touching me, get your hands off of me. And then that sort of secondary passenger says it was so unnecessary. I got to tell you, I'm not buying that, but that's what's reported. I mean, yeah. there was more than one witness who felt that the flight attendant was too abrasive during the situation, but you're not in control. You're not, you're not in control. I have had abrasive flight attendants too. They're in yes. charge. Yes. And if it, we're essentially, like you said, asking these flight attendants to respond as first responders to violent situations and I wonder, <laughs> did these individuals who were interviewed, I guess, by the media, were they kind of on the side of Quinones because they didn't like, they were on her side of this whole masking issue. And so they were like, oh yeah, this flight attendant was way too abrasive. Or uh, was it just taken out of context? Like this, this woman needs to step it up. You know, you have like, in law enforcement, you're different stages of types of force that you can use in a situation that's escalating or that you need to toggle back and forth between, right? Like you have to think through these different stages of what's appropriate to use. Well, you know, what are these flight attendants trained with? Like what are, what do they have? And if you're not doing this every day and you're not used to people being violent with you, I don't know how they're supposed to act. And I think it's just one person's perspective of what abrasiveness is. Well, so I wanted to save this until we were actually recording. So I pulled up the most recent federal action or judicial action on her. Uh -huh. And as of May 27th of this year, she was sentenced to 15 months in federal custody. Oh, shit. As well as a 25,000, no, 26,000 and some change in restitution and a $75 fine and imposed 
three years to supervise release. So like you were saying, that other person may have felt that the flight attendant was escalating it, but it seems like there's more to that story there. So she was not wearing her seatbelt. She pulled her tray table down and she was not wearing her face mask in the appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And she repeatedly failed to comply with the flight attendant when she instructed her to take care of all that. So the flight attendant yeah. is telling her over and over and over, Canonias did not comply and escalated the situation by talking back to the flight attendant and shouting profanities. So then Quinones gets up and starts filming the flight attendant on her cell phone, and then she pushes her. So they, anyway, they broke all this down, and it resulted in federal time. I mean, that's a... 15 months, yeah. That's a big, big deal. deal, especially federal court, <laughs> and it's not... It's a criminal case. So yeah. regardless yeah. of what that other party said, it sounds like there were plenty of other witnesses that for were sure. able to come forward and, and clearly make a case for that she broke the rules. You know, she was not adhering to the rules. Well, and I, I, I'm just thinking of these flight attendants and what they're having to go through, hopefully not on a daily basis, but with an individual like this. And maybe there needs to be a rule in place where they're like, I'm going to tell you twice. And then after that, I don't have control over it. You do whatever the fuck you want, but you're being, it, we're, we're basically making a report and sending this off. So, you know, she doesn't have to be like arguing with this toddler of like, put your tray table up. Da, 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 da. And yeah, Hey, if we have a rough landing and you hit your face on it, Oh, well, we're documenting it. We're making a report and we're sending it off as an incident, you know, that you violated federal law. They should also, they should also, I think they should also, <laughs> but I think that's a really good idea. And it made me think that, you know, we do all these things when we use our apps and our online booking or we make online commitments or make online purchases. And maybe that's mm. part of the booking process. You is agree that to it. You have to, you are agreeing to abide by these rules. And if you don't, it results in this, like maybe that flashing up on the screen as you're about sure. to pay your thousand dollars for a flight. Maybe it'll make people think twice. Yeah, they won't read that shit. What's our next case? <laughs> okay. So I just, I, <laughs> I wanted to highlight a case in January, 2021, where a drunk traveler on a Ryanair flight is Ryanair like the equivalent of Spirit in England? Yeah, it's like a like everything is <laughs> it's a little hopper. Yeah, yeah, and but you pay for. I'm not sure, but they may have the like. I think you may have to pay to use the bathroom. I'm not sure. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, they're pretty quick flights. So this flight was going from Tenerife to Manchester in the UK, and this man reportedly headbutted a flight attendant after being told to wear a mask. Daniel Hendry, who was 24 years old, yelled, fuck off. I'm going to punch you. Going to smash your head in. His behavior during the flight also included the lovely actions of giving a fascist salute, trying to hug a female crew member, and grabbing a mask off another passenger's face. So this guy is a peach. He was actually sentenced to 14 months in jail after wow. pleading guilty to boarding an aircraft while drunk and criminal damage and assault. So I'm glad I was not on a flight with this guy. Yikes. Yeah. And then in June 2021, this is the Delta off-duty flight attendant that 
went a little bonkers. So, and I'm a Delta person, so I'm very sad to hear this. <laughs> I know, I know you're Team American. I'm Team Delta. I've oh. had great result. I've I enjoy both. And whoever, yes. if anybody's out there listening and wants to give us flight credits, <laughs> we're more than happy to accept any, even from Spirit. We'll we'll bring you Starbucks cards and stickers. But an off-duty Delta Airlines flight attendant was a passenger on a plane, was wearing a helmet elbow pads and knee pads on this flight from LA to Atlanta. Huge red flag if someone's geared up like this. I'm sorry, but I don't know if they walked on with it. I doubt it or got it out of their carry-on. But the man was described as being very tense, very adrenaline-fueled by passengers. And then at some point was saying he was going to take down the plane. So you can imagine what high alert everyone's on. Once again, fellow passengers came to the rescue and subdued him after he tried to open the cockpit door and commandeer the plane's PA system. A witness recalled, quote, basically every man on the plane stepped up, end quote. He was held down. The Delta employee then was screaming, help me, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, somebody help me, somebody help me. And an emergency landing was made in Oklahoma City. One passenger stated, I feared the worst. I prayed that God would protect my family in case I was gone. That's terrifying. I know. I mean, that's, it's fascinating. It's terrifying. I mean, this could have just been a highly agitated individual, like, but the descriptors that you provided point towards either a mental health issue or a mental health issue brought on by a substance. Sure. You know, I mean, sure. it's it's like a, it's verging on bizarre, like bizarre really behavior. Is. Like I'm going to I've they're not going to notice that I'm walking on the plane wearing a helmet and knee pads. Yeah. I mean, they notice everything like in my flight back from Seattle, a guy was carrying two carry ons, one for his wife who ended up like in line behind him. So the the flight attendant at the gate was like, hey, why do you have or he was carrying three, right? So she was like, why do you have three? And he's like, oh, this is my wife. She's back there. She gave a little wave. And then when he got to the plane, I saw the flight attendant at the front of the plane, pick up the mic, radio back to the lady at the gate and go, hey, this guy came on with t- too many bags. So they're like on it. Yeah, I'm guessing this guy had his helmet and knee pads inside his carry-on and then put them on at some point. But as far as like follow-up, he was taken into police custody, but there was nothing further. So I do think you're onto something. There's probably some sort of mental health intervention that was more appropriate for him. Right, right. So just four days before we recorded this episode, today's day, another incident occurred where a passenger blew up after being asked to deplane, and she was even offered a refund. And this incident allegedly emerged after the woman was asked to take her dog off of her lap and place it in its carry under the seat. And there's a video published on the website for the New York Post. And I know the New York Post is a spotty newspaper at best, but <laughs> they love posting stuff like this. Like if oh, you they do cover see, a lot. If you want to see these kind of incidents, New York Post is more than happy to provide you with a lot of them. But, you know, just the video playing, the woman is seen becoming very argumentative and aggressive in her responses to the a flight attendant who does not lose his cool. In the video that I'm watching, the things that she's saying to him are so nasty and he's just Jeez. just keeping it like a sort of a vague smile on his face and doing his job. He's great. And then she's just screaming as she's being told, is this about my dog? Is this about my dog? And when she's told that she has to leave, she tells the flight attendants that are moving, okay, we're going to fight. 
We're going to oh, fight. Geez. We're going to fight then. I didn't fucking do anything to you guys. And then she goes on to claim that she's 12 hours late to her destination. So I do think that's an important thing is that mm. if she's telling the truth there, regardless yeah. of what else is going on in her life, she's probably stressed out. Of, you know, yeah. There are people who get locked into or delayed by days and yeah. they're stuck in airports. And yes, I absolutely acknowledge that that is stressful. And then she's just continuing to argue because you couldn't let thy, my dog sit on my fucking lap. And so other passengers now are just done. They're just mm -hmm. like completely done. They're telling her to get off the flight and she responds, fuck you, fuck all of you. And then another passenger sort of after everybody else has died down, another passenger says, just get off the plane. <laughs> she's seen on the video turning around and the way she lobs a water bottle at him is like a missile. I mean, it's Dang. a full water bottle. One of the like, what is that? Like 12 ounces. Yeah. And she just whaps it at him and then tells him, turn your fucking phone off. Crazy. I mean, it's crazy to watch. And she, she's a younger woman. She's uh -huh. very in shape, but yeah. just this kind of like disheveled head of hair. And she's grabbing her dog and sort of flinging it around as she's trying to get off her stuff off the plane. Oh, poor dog. <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, the representatives for the Atlanta Police Department told the Post that law enforcement did respond, but the call was cleared without incident as the parties involved declined to prosecute. So the parties okay. involved must have ended up being her yeah. and the person that she lobbed the water bottle at. Yeah. So that's interesting that the, the airline was like, we just want to get rid of you, get off the flight, and we'll be done with it. Yeah. Because maybe she was, maybe there were all these extenuating factors that were true, but the level of response was just out of control. Again, locus of control. You can't do anything to control this. You are not in control. This is not your house. This is someone else's business, private business. Yeah. Obey the rules. Yeah. Oh my and I'm gosh. sorry, pigtails and adults. I'm not. <laughs> I I'm wouldn't not you love to do an episode on how people respond when they're being filmed? Like it just boggles my mind when people realize that people are filming them, and it just gets worse. <laughs> I think we should. I think we. You know what? We'll do a follow we'll up, or maybe we'll yeah. do a stream about this and get somebody on to, Ooh, to comment. That's a good idea. Because that's that's a actually that's a good subheading to do reporting on. <laughs> All right, so. Entertainment media representations There's and examples. A of good here. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> there are, there are, they're all hilarious, even if they're not supposed to be necessarily. But right. one that is definitely supposed to be is like my favorite meme in the world is bridesmaids. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, this is substance induced this the whole movie is just so genius. It's but there's this funny. Yeah. I know. There's this brilliantly funny scene in the movie Bridesmaids where Kristen Wiig has self-delegated herself to economy seating. And when she shares with her friends in first class that she's anxious and overwhelmed, she's offered a couple of tranquilizers that she downs with a slug of whiskey. <laughs> and although at first she's very relaxed and ready to say, Dr. Scott, party <laughs> the longer term effect is that she begins to hallucinate <laughs> and as she grows more and more agitated she abruptly grabs the microphone from the pa system and announces there's a colonial woman on the wing i saw her there's something they're not telling us she was churning butter <laughs> 
And then her oh outburst <laughs> results in the entire party being thrown off the plane and banned, requiring, of course, they take a bus back home. From it's just a brilliant Vegas. scene. I mean, there's that's only one part of the whole story. Oh, now, yeah. Now she's under the influence and she's arguing with the male flight attendant. And I don't know how he keeps it together. <laughs> he's know. been a male flight attendant on that and in the movie Spy. I think he's from the Groundlings. He's Stove. It's not Stove. It's Steve. Well, that's a dumb name, Stove. <laughs> Oh, anyway. So our other example that I think is really fascinating is an episode from the original series of The Twilight Zone. And I like... Classic. This is something that I love that I got out of my master's level grad student academics is that in my first diagnostic class, we had an assignment where we had to choose a movie and take one of the characters and do a diagnosis. And I wanted to do a twist on it. So I did Rosemary's Baby. Oh, but and because I love horror, I love so much horror stuff. But I said, well, what if what if it's all a hallucination? What if mm-hmm. it's her psychosis? Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, kind of broke the movie down as if I she had been reporting all the events to me. And I'm a psychologist who is, so you know, cool. taking all this information. So anyway, the the where I love to do this with the Twilight Zone is the famous flight episode with William Shatner. It's a called the Gremlin, or I think it's called the Gremlin, but it's about a Gremlin. It pretty much fills the bill of potential psychosis. William Shatner is sitting in a window seat on an overnight flight during a lightning storm. Yes. So there's like thunder and lightning Pouring and a lot of turbulence. Rain. It's like pretty, pretty scary, but like everybody's kind of calming down and having a drink. They've all had their foods. Like it's time for lights out. And when everybody else is asleep, he begins to see a terrifying, well, it was terrifying for the time. Now we look at it and it's like, it's It's like like somebody in a big, yeah, it's like a, like somebody's taking a terry cloth robe and, you know, put pillows underneath it. But this creature is on the wing of the plane and it's kind of dancing around, but it's also able even at the height and the the speed that the plane is going it's ripping wires out of the engine Mm -hmm. of the plane and william shatner's slow descent into madness from seeing this over and over again and nobody else can see it every time people come to the window when he's screaming and yelling the gremlin is gone but it's it's actually you see it floating and flying around the plane wait but you have to say like his line the way he says this (laughs) the first time (laughs) no you say it I can't do it justice. Okay, he's there's something on the wing. <laughs> something on the wing. And that like, is okay. his signature delivery style. I think it, you know, he did like oh three or four God. episodes of The Twilight Zone, but that certainly was the beginning oh, yeah. of Kirk right there. And good job, Dr. Shiloh. That was very good. <laughs> but the last scene is we see him being carried on a stretcher to a psychiatric hospital. Fine. Yes. But Uh, fascinating fascinating topic thank you to the listener who suggested this and i i think we're going to be seeing some more of these unfortunately i wish people could get it together together calm down i know gosh all right good stuff be safe on airplanes, everybody. I'm so glad I'm not doing any flying lately or anymore for the rest of this year. We need a break. We're done. We've been going for a long time. Absolutely. All right, everyone, please join us for our watch party this weekend. I will be wearing pigtails, but you won't be able to see me because (laughs) it's just a chat feature. I'll wear pigtails for Dr. Scott next time we record an episode. Yeah, next time we'll be 
gosh, our documentary episode for this month already. So if you guys want to go ahead and watch 11 minutes on Paramount Plus, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, folks. For a different reason than, you know, some of these true crime murder documentaries are. But take your time with it. Watch with care. And we will be back next week to talk about that one. Anything else, Dr. Scott, before we call it for today? I think that's it. We will see you next time on L.A. Not so. Confidential. Bye, folks. Bye-bye. We sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. L.A. Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usry of Earcult Productions. The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. Please check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at www.la-not-so.com. Dash confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at Alienist Entertainment at gmail.com. Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live stream scheduling announcements. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. Lastly, we would be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast so you can be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening and join us next time on LA Not So Confidential. <laughs>